Beth and I'm a psychological wellbeing practitioner from Newcastle. I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to the contributors of the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I've enjoyed reading this so much and loved having an insight into the range of backgrounds and experiences people have prior to applying for the doctorate and it's been really interesting seeing the potential barriers to the application as well and how I can try and work around this. I really started to doubt myself and whether I was good enough to apply for the clinical psychology doctorate but this has really given me the confidence boost that I needed to give it a shot so the biggest thank you ever. Coming up in today's episode we are introduced to the new kid on the block. We're looking at the role of mental health and well-being practitioner. What is it? How can you train as it? What does it involve? I'm joined by a brand new qualified mental health wellbeing practitioner called Harriet. Hope you will find it so useful. It may just lead to your future career. Hi, welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. I'm Dr. Marianne Trent and I'm a qualified clinical psychologist. Now, the route to becoming a qualified psychologist, whichever you prefer, may well involve different jobs, different roles, different transitions, or of course, we may choose to stop at any of the stages before and without progressing to qualified psychologist status. Today's guest contacted me to ask if I'd heard of this brand new kid on the block, which is called Mental Health and Wellbeing Practitioner. I hadn't, but I was very interested to learn more. So I've invited her on and we're going to learn together. So I hope you find this so useful. I will look forward to catching you on the other side. Hi, just want to welcome along Harriet Barnes to the podcast. Hi, Harriet. Hello. Thank you so much for reaching out to me to help us learn more about the new role, but also the role that you are doing, which is the mental health and well-being practitioner. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Thank you for having me. (laughs) That's all right. I love being able to help illuminate new career options. So this sounds like a really viable job and potentially career for somebody that's done a psychology degree is that right that's right yeah you don't in the um, in the entry requirements when I applied for the role there wasn't even a requirement for it to be a psychology um, degree necessarily so one one element of the role is that it's um, encouraging people into a psychological profession or uh, having the ability to um, provide psychologically informed interventions so um, that's quite important that to, to acknowledge that they're informed from lots of different backgrounds because they're quite keen to uh, understandably sort of diversify the number and type of people offering psychology so a lot of people on in the role that I'm aware of do have a psychology degree but not everybody and it's certainly not a requirement uh, when I applied at least. Great thanks for clarifying that did you do a psychology degree? I did yes yes so if you want to know just a a tiny bit about my background because it's um, everybody's backgrounds are so varied it's not an example of a perfect uh, what you would need um, but just so you can have an understanding so I did my um, uh, psychology degree and then I went to work in education so I'd worked as an A-level psychology teacher and a few other roles around that for 15 years um, and alongside that I did my teaching masters and also a master's in psychological research and then took a few other roles just for a year or two because I wanted to kind of have an experience outside of education working with 
with asylum seekers, working at a university, so not really out of education, but a different type of education, um, and then applied for this role, uh, which has training attached to it as well. So since, since I applied, I've completed my mental health and wellbeing practitioner training. Gosh, amazing. So you're a fully qualified teacher with years and years of experience. That must, you know, I think what I really like about psychology careers or about careers generally is that if you kind of have different careers, like a series of them, you don't just stop bringing the stuff from your previous career, you know, you're able to almost integrate and formulate whatever you're doing with the people you're working with the knowledge you bring forward. You don't stop being an A-level teacher do you you know you bring that with you and that enhances your role and I think it's, it's clear that you're not doing A-level teaching but all the skills all of the kind of engagement the brilliant way you'll have engaged your pupils over the years you know and how to stop them being rowdy I'm sure is useful <laughs> you bring that with you. Yeah absolutely I didn't expect and it sort of seems silly now looking back but at the time I sort of thought this is I almost felt like I was going into something completely brand new in the same way as I was when I first went into teaching so you know first started my career I thought gosh I'm really starting right from the beginning again and in some ways I was absolutely it's a new environment it's getting used to working in the NA you know the within different systems within the NHS just like you would in any you know changing any kind of organization and sort of more of a focus on on risk because of uh, the client group that the MHWP role works with but actually, uh, unexpectedly, a lot of the skills, because as much as I've taught in groups, all my interventions are one-to-one and I have actually done uh, one-to-one teaching as well in, in A-levels. And you're absolutely right. I kind of, I have to be very mindful because I don't, to be a fully a teacher wouldn't be appropriate in a psychological intervention. But a lot of the skills like being able to pick up if somebody's saying they've got an example, but maybe they haven't, or if they're, if they're drifting off and losing engagement, how to bring them back and sort of of just knowing how to communicate sort of psychological concepts to somebody in an accessible way yeah definitely a lot more of the skills than I realized were transferable and I think that was the case for a lot of people on my course with their different backgrounds whatever they were that they found a lot of the skills they developed just through life and through having any kind of career was really valuable yeah and of course it's making me think about the transactional analysis of how we kind of interact with each other. And I don't know if that's anything you're familiar with, but there's three circles sort of stacked one on top of the other. And I think it's parent, teacher, child, and it's making sure that we know at any one time which role we're in. So at the moment, I'm if this is something you're not familiar with or our audience is not familiar with, you know, I'm, I'm doing the teaching. But it's, it's useful in arguments when we realise sometimes me and my 10-year-old are both stuck in child and that doesn't help an argument to kind of come to a, a, a nice amicable end. Um, so just being able to sometimes in the moment be able to just observe where we're at. And I'm not a transactional analysis expert there. So if anyone's like, look, that's entirely wrong. What I know I am right about is there's three circles and we need to look at where we're at. So if anyone wants to come on and discuss that, because I've got it all horrendously wrong, please do feel free. So what happened then did you were you already working in a role and then you heard about the MHWP or you saw it advertised how did that unfold for you yeah so I I um I was working in a role um in in um teaching and also working for a charity as well part-time um and about a year after I'd finished my full-time teach a-level psychology teaching role um and 
it was always something I'd wanted to do, but decided now was the right time. So just started to look um, for job adverts. So not too many tips in terms of finding them, but they're definitely out there just on the NHS. It was the NHS jobs track uh, website. I um, I came across, I'm trying to think what search terms I used because at the time I didn't actually know the role existed. It's a very new role. Uh, the I was in the second cohort, the first cohort of people recruited across the country haven't even been qualified a year yet. So it was very new when I was looking at it in um, the summer of 2022. Um, So I just used lots of different search terms. And I think, I guess for me, it was um, just being open minded. So it could have perhaps been an assistant psychology role I was looking at or a psychological wellbeing practitioner role. And then when I saw this one, I, I was just open minded to this one possibly being one that I'd be interested in as well. Amazing. I know when I was looking for roles, I used to just literally sometimes search through all of the band four and five jobs within yeah. 30 miles of my house just to see if there was anything that would use my skills that I could apply for. So I think, yeah, just getting a bit crafty with your search terms is a really good idea. Is it a funded role to train? Yes. Yeah. So it's um, when I applied for it, it was called a trainee mental health and wellbeing practitioner role. Um, So it came with um, a a year of training that was funded by the um, by the service. Um, And then once you were in service, you remain with it so you train the service that you train in the the team that I trained in once I then had qualified I I moved from a band four to a band five and remained within that um, team as a permanent member of the team so that's quite nice I think that's quite different speaking to the nurses in the community mental health team um, once they qualify they have to like lots of roles they have then have to look for a job so there's the stress of qualifying doing all the hard work and then there's the and on top of that not necessarily knowing straight away where you'll work so that's a really nice thing about this role um, you do a year of funded training and working in the service at the same time so you're building the relationship starting to cement where the role fits within the team and then uh, once you're qualified if anything whilst it's new because then you're qualified and your responsibilities change slightly uh, it's the relief of just working in service and not having to do any of the training which is quite nice <laughs> yeah ideal so it's the it's the service that I've identified there's a gap in the market for this role we will train the person, get to know them, and then almost like a preceptorship, like then you you graduate and you you become your your band five um, qualified MHWP. Um, are yeah, there assignments right. and things to do along the way as well, Harriet? Yeah, so um, I started the um, the training in November 2022. Um, yes, yes, um, and um, there are three modules in it. So. Y- it varies, but generally it's about two or three days out of your your uh, role is um, on training. And my training was online. And I would assume that most with a university and I'd assume that most uh, train at uh, most posts would be online because our university covered a huge area ge- geographically. Um, so I think realistically, that's what most universities would also do uh, there were th- and there were three modules the first module had an assignment and something called an OSCE attached to it, it and, and focused on assessing people with and th- this is a phrase that's used in the course because it's connected to the the role and why it exists for working with people with severe mental health needs um, compared to um, IAPT or, or perhaps as they're called now talking therapies and mild to moderate um, mental health needs this role is aimed more at people with with what they call severe mental 
mental health needs or complex mental health needs. Um, and so the first module is is assessing. So coming in and we learn things like the five P's formulation, how to how to build a relationship with someone, a rapport, how to assess risk, um, how to develop that that formulation. Um, the second module um, is around care planning, and that has an assignment and a reflective. Um, essay to it attached to it and that's about how to as, as the module suggests how to plan somebody's care so how to kind of think about um, ensuring that all of the needs are met in the in the most appropriate way um, enjoy the most is looking at the interventions that we offer and that's the same thing it's an assignment and then something called an OSCE um, and um, and both of the assignments both in module one and module three are case studies so you work with a particular person and then anonymously write up um, a case study about how you either assess them if it's module one or how you provided a psychological intervention if it was module three um, and OSCEs for essentially and, and and the way um role plays so they the way they did them is i know they've changed they're slightly different now but the way that mine was done is they had um they hired uh, people with lived experience of mental health needs to um, play the role of a service user or a patient um, and then they watched us live as in, and recorded us as we provided um, in the first one we provided an assessment session and in the second OSCE we provided a, um, a, a um, the a, a psychological intervention uh, which they chose for us which was confidence build uh, our confidence building one I think that's changed now I guess it all depends how you feel about OSCEs and how things work I think they've changed it to try and make it a little less stressful in that you can now record it um, with um, someone else a, another member of staff in the team um, as the role as the service user or if you have a service user you can use a you can ask them to to do it so you don't have the pressure of knowing there's a third person right there in the moment live listening to you and judging <laughs> judging you although that sounds really scary I found actually that they were really supportive and um, they're really keen for you to to achieve everything that you need to and understand everything you need to but they are really keen to support you to to pass they want you to pass they they're not there to uh, make your life difficult or or um sort of hide what the assessment criteria is um they're as supportive as possible so it wasn't as scary as it quite sounded amazing thank you that's so illuminating and it's also made me reflect upon my first ever assignment as a trainee clinical psychologist which was a role play so we were divided into groups of three I think one of us was doing the filming one of us was doing the talking and then one of us was a patient um, and then it was service users who rated what they thought about us I think there was three service users rated each of our videos and it felt mortifying you know I think anybody who's going to train the mental health role is going to need to be able to tolerate their distress at the idea there will be role plays you know and that there may well be feedback on those role plays and we just need to kind of hold notice that distress but then being able to tune into the feedback and you know in my case it was it was good. You know, I remember one piece of feedback from a service user said, there's nothing I wouldn't talk to her about. Like, she's really welcoming. She's really compassionate. Like, you know, I was like, oh, well, that's, that's all right. Like, that's a high that compliment, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it is. And then yeah. I think that gives you permission then to to go on, doesn't it? You know, actually, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not as bad as I thought I was. You know, maybe this is all right. 
So in the podcast, I think it's often quite helpful to think about jargon busting. Um, and often I use loads of jargon that I know what things mean. And it's like the jargon we use is common sense. Always try to put it in brackets and, and in full so that people know what you mean. What does OSCE stand for? Do you know, Harriet? Yeah, well, it stands for um, Objective Structured Clinical Examination. But you're, you're absolutely right. It was I had to look it up and we didn't, we used it on the course without even questioning it really. And then um, as I sort of what it stood for and I thought, oh, I don't, I don't actually know. So you are right. It's very easy to fall into that trap of using jargon and, and not realising definitely. Absolutely. I think as well with you, men- with you mentioning about um, feedback, that was a skill that I discovered that I'd, something I'd developed through my teaching that then was, um, that I then was able to apply and something that I, you know, again, sort of, gosh, didn't expect that that would be something I would, um, I'd need to do. I found, because I found um, feedback really valuable, but it was very tempting to be quite self-critical and focus on the negatives and beat yourself up about the things that you, that you couldn't change. And in teach, for anyone who doesn't know, in teaching, there's a lot of observation that goes on. We're observed regularly in the classroom by management, by peers, and very occasionally by, uh, if we're really unlucky, by Ofsted. Um, so I found that something really difficult that I needed to develop. And I found something that I found really useful was I would print off my or or get in front of me my feedback and have it broken down at each point that was made and I found it I skipped straight to the stuff that um, was about areas for development so I found that I had to I I really made a point of focusing on the strengths exactly like you said to really remind myself of those Um, but then with the the areas for development I found myself going quite circularly around a point maybe that either I didn't agree with or I thought well that was just unfortunate on the day or um, I can't change that so what I found really helpful was I'd have a I'd keep a clean copy but I'd also have a copy where I would cross out any of those that I didn't I couldn't do anything about because that really helped me then instead of focusing on oh I can't do anything about that that was my that was um, how unfortunate it then actually they disappeared and then I had to admit well actually yeah that is a valid point but then instead of just thinking oh why did I let that happen I think right now what can I do to change that and I'd write that next to it like what is something I can move forward and then I committed to putting that into place so I found that a really useful way Way of um of managing feedback oh thank you so much for sharing that with us that's so important and you know I think in in these mental health careers it's it's for your own development but it's also for client safety it's important that that we have been observed that people have had a chance to experience what it's like to be in a room with us either virtually or actually in a room and we need to shape, we need to grow, you know, I genuinely care about easing the distress of the clients I work with. And if there's something I can do that would make that more likely to happen, I want to know it. But, you you know, yeah, absolutely, sometimes it feels really difficult. And sometimes, this, you know, I think we look at um, compassion focused therapy we sometimes the angry part of ourselves will be in charge and that's the part that scribbles it all out because oh, ridiculous what are we talking about um sometimes the sad part or the anxious part might be in control and that's got something different to say hopefully over time the the combined compassion itself will be able to step into the fore and be a little bit more objective and a, you know supportive to yourself as a growing clinician but also you know I think we should be observed as as qualified clinicians as well so every day is a school day and I think we can always improve but um, sometimes 
you know, I've worked with clients who've complained about me as well. Sometimes we're just not a good fit for everybody because we can't be. And sometimes we know that we've got a really, really good clinical rapport with somebody. And sometimes we know it's just a little bit sticky, you know, and that's either, it's just something about some of us that we get together and it just doesn't, just doesn't work. It's not a fit. And sometimes you just need to think, well, actually, maybe this is best being assigned to a different clinician, you know, have a fresh start, someone that, that can kind of just, I don't know, have a more natural rapport with this client. We're all different, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really big focus when they look um, to recruit people into the mental health role and also why they're really keen for a a wide variety. So absolutely, there are people with a psychological mental health background, but not everybody in the role. I believe in the recruitment process that um, a really big part of what they're looking at is understanding the importance of rapport and being able to build rapport. And I sometimes think that potentially people who haven't come from a mental health background might approach that in a different way and especially for maybe people who've been in the in with services for a long time that can feel quite refreshing like you say that kind of that fresh start for people so in the interview um, there were the the standard sort of interview questions that you might expect but there was also a role play in that as well so they are quite a fan of of role plays when you're you're going through the process um it but that one was a really simple one it was they, they didn't expect you to do anything because there's no expectation that you have any experience of, of clinical contact with people before. So it felt like they were looking for people who were comfortable to check in on risk. Um, but the key thing was uh, how, how you built a rapport with somebody, how you created that, that compassionate and safe space for them and that therapeutic relationship. Um, so uh, which absolutely in in reality when you're practicing can't always um happen but i guess they're looking to see that you're able to with with the majority of people thank you so are you given a placement supervisor or is that just a general supervisor are you giving a a kind of someone from the training course themselves to kind of be your mentor or kind of tutor how does it work in terms of support in in the training and in your placement yeah so the main um areas of sort of support that are really helpful and also the kind of formally expected and required by the course and every week you should have clinical supervision and every two weeks you should have caseload supervision and your clinical supervision there's um, some strict requirements around them being somebody who's registered with uh, the BABCP um, and is either a a psychologist or um, qualified CBT therapist because almost all of the interventions we offer are CBT informed Um, and then the caseload supervisor is somebody who's in the service who's able to provide um, supervision so for me it was the same supervisor for both but I know in some teams it's a mental health practitioner within the community mental health team so someone with a nurse or OT background who's at a band um, six Um, and then there is um, you get a mentor attached to you from the university which is one of the members of staff Um, in obviously I'm only talking about my my university and my experience um, who you could contact for kind of queries around the academic stuff which was really helpful and then because this rule was so new um, I've been really lucky that um, I can be involved in the start of the peer of peer develop support development. So somebody within our cohort one 
has um, started a peer support group for mental health wellbeing practitioners within the role, the chance to to kind of talk about any concerns that we have or things like that. Um, and and she's asked, you know, I, I've been able to be involved with that um, as well. So that so you do generally find that if there's a group of people who are doing the same thing and this, uh, the, the grassroots, they all start to organise and develop some peer support. And that's been really, really helpful um, as well. Uh, so they're the main uh, and then and then in really informal peer support so you're you're the people on your course you can uh, message them and say are you finding this assignment as difficult as me um <laughs> do you know what you're doing um, and it can be really normalization is so important isn't it you've got to exactly. have a safe space you absolutely have yeah absolutely and that was all of those different types of support were helpful at different points and in different ways but the the peer support that validation is really helpful having somebody I'm lucky that I've got someone in a different team to me, but in the same office. And we'd regularly um, in our wheelie chairs, wheel over to each other and go, do you know what's going on? <laughs> no, I've got no clue either. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love that. Is there a senior mental health and wellbeing practitioner? Because I know that senior um, PWPs are, are emerging. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the, um, I don't know the full details, um, but the, I, 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 so again, if somebody else knows, maybe they can come on and share that with you. Um, but I believe the mental health and wellbeing practitioner role has come out of the uh, community transformation work that's that's happening. So moving the um, community uh, team, uh, mental health teams towards a, to a more psychological focus or to have more more choice of psychological interventions. Um, and it's but it uses a PWP model, but unlike PWPs where there is an IAPT or um, a talking therapy office where people go, there's a service being created that's just those people. We, our role is similar, but we're placed within a service that already exists. So rather than the service being made, I've been placed into a community mental health team as a as a role. And just like the PWP, there are discussions about um, senior um, mental health wellbeing practitioners that we would be at band six um they're still being decided right at the top of the level so our trust uh, don't and, and just like any other trust in the um the country don't have any plans to put any in place yet because they've not been advised by the strategic bodies above them what that would look like um but there are hopes there's some discussion that it could be that we would have some kind of supervisory capacity um, and also we might be able to offer, uh, have additional training um, or the band sixes would have additional training to um, offer um I don't know what the correct, the right word is, but slightly more complex, still, still low level psychological intervention, but um, with, with um, a, a little additional training as well. Lovely. So are they just in adult mental health, CMHT services, or are they in CAMS, young people services, older adult services, psychosis, or don't you know? It's fine. We don't know. Yeah, we're talking to it from talking to people on my course. We're absolutely everywhere. <laughs> so my understanding of the role was that be mostly in community mental health teams where uh, they hold a caseload of people with, who are defined by the organisations having severe mental health needs. Um, but actually, we've been placed in uh, and that's where I am. But there are people placed in lots of different places. So I believe there are people in early intervention psychosis, EIP, uh, in older adult services, in 
in um, GP surgeries. So there's quite a lot of and a lot of scope. And, and based on the role and the interventions that we offer, it feels the fact that our interventions can be so helpful. They're, they're well-being interventions. So in theory, absolutely anybody could benefit from them. So even people not accessing mental health services, if you think about the kind of things that they, so we do behavioural activation, which is uh, getting people doing a little bit more when, they're fe- when they've got low mood, a graded exposure, kind of getting people, helping people access um, situations that create anxiety, confidence building, problem solving, uh, sleep interventions, guided self-help for binge eating disorder and the seven so there's one more that I've missed but um as you can so I wonder if I, I know I can identify that when I'm not feeling great um I I start to do less or lose my routine or my sleep starts to struggle so actually the fact that our there the interventions are are so um appropriate for everybody at lots of different levels it doesn't surprise me that we're we're being fitted into lots of different services um there is a particular role for um, that's slightly different in CAMS that I believe is something like an educational mental health practitioner. So I think it's the same sort of thing, but actually we're, our role is specifically for, for adults and older adults. Thank you. And I was going to say, what does an average day look like? But I think you've really nicely <laughs> guided us through that. And, you know, I know this isn't specifically kind of a progression route for people going on to being an educational psychologist or a clinical psychologist or a counselling psychologist but it makes me think that actually this would have been for me you know I'm excited I would have liked to have done this role this would have been for me even better experience even better experience than like an assistant psychologist because you're getting hands-on experience for how to do these things you know why they matter which things are going to work better you know mingling in your theory practice links and getting you know the bums on seat experience of putting that into practice I guess the bit that you're not getting which I did get as an assistant is the supervision from a qualified psychologist so that's if someone is thinking this might make a really good you know next step then yes I I believe personally it really really will but you unless you happen to be supervised by a clinical psychologist, even if you were supervised by a clinical psychologist, I think you're being supervised as a mental health and wellbeing practitioner, not as an assistant psychologist. And for me, they are a little bit different because the job roles should be different. But yeah, for me, it's it sounds really exciting and a really great way of skilling people up to either do this role for the foreseeable or to think about future roles yeah absolutely so so a couple of things there definitely it's you learn a lot (laughs) about the really key skill the really key core fundamental skills and you do access some formal training which I know in some sometimes in some AP roles might be missing you know I now have a qualification um that that's formally recognized currently we're not registered but there is a discussion about us becoming a registered uh, uh profession and that's something to consider when you think about the role in there's some real benefits to it um being new I've been able to get involved with lots of things like service evaluation that I think if the role had existed for a long time I wouldn't be able to because they'd all already been done or setting up the peer support but there are so 
what comes with that is a lot of discussion about what is the role, where does it fit, having to perhaps wait to hear what the progression route is or maybe wait for the, the registration process, which all of it will definitely will come but you just have to be patient and and I viewed it as a positive that I could be there at the beginning to have those inform maybe wherever possible inform those um those decisions definitely I've been really lucky that my supervisor is a qualified um, psychologist um and is really supportive with my uh, supervision in that she lets me take it wherever I need to take it and in terms of discussing the skills or, or the areas that I want to go in so I suppose maybe that could be a, qu- a question if it's something people are thinking of it could be a question in the interview that people might like to ask um, and alongside that I think a question about how people see the, the the service see the role fitting into the service could be really helpful acknowledging that it is still a brand new role I think we're on to about cohort five of trainees will be the next one but there is still lots of things happening so that can be a really good thing to acknowledge in an interview that it's a new role and you're interested to see how they're fitting it in and you could if you're feeling particularly confident ask about uh, community transformation and where they are in terms of that if it's relevant to community um, adult uh, mental health uh, and I'm, I'm happy to give a very brief over you mentioned um, a, a day in the life I'm happy to give a very brief overview for people who um, might want to know about that so because of the, the training that we have in an average day we might be involved in, or in my average day which will look different because I'm in, in CMHT to maybe somebody else um, but we'd have a huddle where we join together and talk about our contacts and anyone we've got concerns which is lots of skills there you can develop there's then um, formulations that you can that I attend that are really helpful to see how a multidisciplinary team works and where my interventions fit. Um, It might be, it's not something I do so much, but it's absolutely something that could be part of the role, um, something called phase one. So where you you assess somebody, uh, which will look different in different services, but for us, it's an extended period of time gathering information for the five Ps formulation. So getting a really good understanding of people's experience and how they've, what's happened to them and how they've arrived where they have their protective factors and goal setting what do they want to achieve what do they want to work on and that's so important that's a question that's asked all the time in formulation what does somebody actually want what's their their focus how can we help them um, achieve what they want not what we think they need but what they actually want um, and then the main body of my role is offering those um, low-level evidence-based psychologically informed interventions um, which is all of it's great. I really, I genuinely really enjoy all of it, but that's the real, um, that feels like the real, the real work, working one-to-one with people. Um, and you, and again, in a smaller scale, using exactly those same skills. So having a smaller assessment with them that's focused on whichever intervention they might be using, almost like a mini formulation, working alongside them to help them um, again to make it shared decision making I'm not telling you I'm going to do this to you we're doing it together and then working through so all of our interventions are described as guided self-help so in theory they could be completed independently you could give someone a leaflet and they could do it but of course having that support gentle accountability a safe space to spare to share is is a really important part of the of the process as well um Uh, and then supervision supervision and then anything my advice especially because it's a new role and for me I was so new to mental health I just tried to get involved in absolutely anything I could so if there was a meeting going on especially when I was in training because they they say just find out what's going on so if there's a meeting going on I'd join it if there was a free bit of training with a space on it I would join it knowing that I might not always be able to use it in my role um but 
I always got something out of it and, and just asking people, what do you do? Who are you? How does that fit? Um, was really, really useful too. I do. And I'm very much getting the impression that the role of mental health wellbeing practitioner and you specifically become the linchpin of the service because you have got your fingers in all the pies, you're in all the meetings. And it very much feels like when I was an assistant, it would be like, last Marianne. <laughs> Maria will know like and I feel I feel like that's what they say about you Harriet like Harriet will know she'll know how to do it she'll know where it is she'll know she'll know what's going on and why we're doing that and what options are and I guess you'll also know a lot about community interventions as well and um, something I only stumbled across yesterday or something called Andy's Man Club. Is that something you've heard of? Yeah, so so interestingly, whilst my caseload was building, I'm um, moving from trainee to kind of qualified. Um, I, I did look for a few other things I could do just to kind of help the service. And one of them was um, that we had a really good understanding of third sector um, support, but kind of really make some connections with, with those groups and kind of get so for, to inform formulations. And yeah, one that we use a lot is, is Andy's Manshed it's a as re- a really a, a very positive service that that we use definitely a third sector um awareness is really really key and actually acknowledge and again maybe in your interview or thinking about if the role how you want to um uh, develop it knowing about the acknowledging that you need to know about third sector stuff and work it joint working is really really helpful um but yeah we regularly refer to to people in um in the community of the charity sector community sector um as to either to supplement or maybe after discharge to support that that transition back into the community definitely so important i love that you've been able to give our audience tips for their interviews as well that's so important I know that sometimes the episodes where we're looking at career changes have been really, really popular. What's it like when we've got all this internal chatter about what will people say when I say I want to leave or will they think I'm ungrateful for, you know, leaving this career? You know, I get I get holidays, I get Easter, I get summer off. Like, you know, what's it like when you suddenly realise actually I, I might want to leave this career I'm in? and do something different oh well it took me absolutely ages I um which I wouldn't necessarily advise like I don't I, I love teaching I loved everything about it I loved where I worked um but it was time for me to try something different um I like to try and if I have something I like to try and improve it and teaching allowed me to do that because I taught the same thing every year I could change what I was um you know I could tweak and change things and you can do the same with the interventions you're delivering a sleep intervention think well that didn't quite work next time I'll do it like this so I still I still get that but I've kind of got to a point where it was really just sort of neatening things up you can always improve in every area um but I did it really slowly so I went down to three days a week and two days working at the charity and then I think I went down to one and a half days teaching and the charity work and the and some of the um the, the university lecturing and finally I think I was on about one day when I left so I really dragged it out because I've been there for years and knew everybody and what was really lovely is um there were two tra- uh, trainee teachers that um, myself and another colleague who left at the same time um had, had trained and, and had seen come up so as we were kind of reducing our hours they were taking them on and and they've they've both really blossomed they keep in touch with them in their careers and they're doing really well and working nicely as a unit so I guess if there are worries about if you if you are worrying about maybe leaving because of kind of those those pressures about what will people think or how will the team feel 
me leaving allowed somebody else to start their career in that area um, and and have another person in the world who's um, got psychological knowledge and teaching knowledge which was something that I really appreciated and has been really valuable to me so it's been it was a real positive. Such an important reframe and I don't know if you watch Friends but it reminds me of when um, Phoebe has moved out of Monica's but not told her um, and it feels like that's what you <laughs> did there like where's Harriet oh, oh she's moved out she's left um, didn't you notice she's been doing it like a bit by bit incrementally but that really made me smile as an idea like you just you did the transition in a slow gradual way and just it was just right for you um, which I love before we finish have you got any advice for kind of reducing burnout in this mental health sphere that we find ourselves working in? I feel really lucky because because I'm quite new to mental health that that everything feels very fresh Um, and as well as having a really supportive team we have lots of different reflective things and support you know supportive things set up which I I access and I'm really encouraged and support by the um by the team so I guess one of my piece of advice would be don't after having said I took I was there for 15 years and took years to gradually leave what I would say now is if you're in a team that don't offer you those things or that support then they're not the right team for you and that's a reflection on the team and not on you which isn't my experience but I can understand how it could be um, in others and I guess maybe the thing that I really enjoy is is remaining curious is being curious and I'm lucky because I'm right at the start so literally everything is new to me so so everything is interesting but just um kind of looking up things fresh and new making time very even if it's briefly just to to listen to kind of new ideas or new perspectives and that's where I stumbled across your your podcast um that that it has little snapshots of different careers or I can remember one one of your podcasts that was really interesting that I really enjoyed um was around there was somebody talking about kind of a culture and and their religion and how that informed their their experiences and their practices and as I work with asylum seekers who uh, majority Muslim that was really interesting and an area that I had a passion for and it's really nice to see those brought together and when you mentioned about third sector um, I after listening to one of your podcasts about you had somebody in talking about green spaces and nature that really highlighted to me the importance of that and how lovely that was so we, um, I embedded into looking for my third sector people I looked for people who had a focus on you know got, there were people with gardening and nature as well um, so definitely anything where you can learn other people's perspectives can feel so it's like a change is as good as a rest it can feel really refreshing to hear those different ideas and perspectives um anywhere oh. you can find them oh yeah are you trying to make me cry like <laughs> i didn't realize i was gonna be in there as a as an anti-burnout tip but that's that's honestly so lovely you know that i've had this idea to do a podcast series like a a podcast and that i've had this idea to to talk to certain experts and approach them about coming on and that it genuinely is leading to clinical shifts for people that I will never meet that will be benefiting because of the mm-hmm. information that I've made available to clinicians like just get me a bit teary I won't lie like <laughs> this is why I do what I do people are like why do you do this because it costs you money you don't make any money from it I'm like because I passionately believe in easing the distress of others but also giving great evidence-based practice for clinicians who I'll never meet who then get to go off and make people's lives better or make their own lives better or both you know that's why I do it and 
thank you so much for saying that because that's that's incredible thank you you're welcome and I think as well I know um that you you offer the um the aspiring psychologist the membership and I do wonder if that would allow the same thing because you have the the weekly lectures with people with different um perspectives so some of that of course will be career development but other elements would just be oh gosh yeah I never thought about that connection you know it's amazing how many connections you can make so so yeah definitely lots of really uh, lots of really helpful things connected to you <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I will just briefly mention there's books available as well if anyone wants to check those out. But thank you so much for, for approaching me about this podcast episode, for helping us learn about the mental health and wellbeing practitioner. Do you get to graduate? Do you get another little hat and a robe? Like, yeah, is that there is um, there is a graduation uh, service. Yes, definitely, which is very nice after uh, all that hard work to, like you say, get to do that little throwing the hat and yay. <laughs> so does it last a year? It sounds like it's kind of rolling. Like there's multiple starts in the in the yeah, yeah. in the calendar year, but the whole process lasts a year. Yeah, so um, the recruitment, the start of the courses, and I think it's un- I think it's universal, not just um, our trust is November and March. So now would probably be quite a good time. To, people will be advertising for trainees. The training is a year, and then after the year, one year is a band four. After the year of training, it's um, it, and then you go into band five into a permanent post, which is very Great. nice. I love it. Thank you so much. This honestly would have been a bit of me. Like this would have been amazing. I think. How incredible that we've got these new and diverse mental health practitioner roles for people to be able to do, but also people to be able to benefit from. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you ever so much for having me. You're so welcome. Oh, how lovely to have met Harriet and to be guided through the process with such expert care and attention. And yeah, I feel like it was such a great chat. And I think this would have been something that I would have really liked myself if it had been around an earlier stage of my career. What do you think? What does this sound like to you? Is this something you would be interested in exploring? I would love to know what you think. Do come along to the Aspiring Psychologist community on Facebook um, where you can let me know. You can also start a chat with me on socials about it, any of my socials. I am Dr. Marianne Trent. If you would like to read the stories of Aspiring Psychologists, please do check out the Aspiring Psychologist Collective book. And there's also experiences of clinical health, counselling psychologists, educational psychologists in the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I just want to thank you for your time in listening to or watching this episode. I know your time is precious and you know I'm just really grateful that you trust in me to help you learn more about the field of psychology. Please do take a moment to rate and review. Please do subscribe to the channel. I will look forward to bringing you the next episode of the podcast which will be released as an mp3 on Monday mornings at 6am and is usually available on YouTube across the weekend before it's launched as an MP3. Thank you so much. Take good care of yourselves. Be kind. And I'll see you very soon. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the
My name is Diakolola Amujo. I am a recent psychology graduate from Ireland. I am also an aspiring clinical psychologist. Dr. Marion's book, The Clinical Psychologist Collective, has been so helpful to me on this journey to becoming a clinical psychologist. As I plan to continue postgraduate studies in the UK, I found it extremely useful that this book provided in-depth information on the UK DeClinSci application process. I enjoyed reading about the experiences of both qualified and trainee clinical psychologists. The various narratives were my favorite part of the book, as everyone's story was different and it provided amazing insights into the clinical psychology journey. I would definitely recommend this book to anyone interested in psychology and aspires to become a clinical psychologist.